Good morning, Sun Valley. Well, we've spent the last couple months in Romans 8, and you can never spend enough time in Romans 8, so whenever you feel like being encouraged, uh, this would be a great chapter to pick up and review. Uh, it is just so full of, of encouragement, so full of hope and joy-producing truth that it is worth returning to repeatedly over and over again throughout your life. One of the most effective weapons of our enemy that he uses against us on a regular basis is to have us doubt the love of God for us. To have you question whether or not God could really love someone like you. This is a very common experience for all Christians. I'm not saying that we don't believe he's a loving God. I'm just saying that we sometimes struggle with whether or not he loves me. I mean, sure, he can love us, but me? Well, I'm not as spiritual as that guy, or I don't know the Bible as good as her, or I'm not an elder, a Sunday school teacher, etc. God certainly doesn't love me. He loves us, but not me. That is a common tool, weapon, that the enemy uses to undo us, to rob us of our joy, to cause us to doubt the love of God for us. He loves to plant seeds of doubt in our minds and makes us question God's commitment to us, whether or not he can truly love us. And if he can do that, if he can, if he can get that seed to take root in our souls, he will have been successful to rob us of our joy rob us of the, the blessing it is to serve God in his church. And so instead of joyfully serving God, we serve him out of duty or fear. And this, this weapon also causes us to be unproductive, ineffective in the Christian life. Questioning the love of God for you, for me personally. So what Paul does here at the end of this great chapter we've been studying is to affirm to us with an overwhelming confirmation of the love of God towards those of us who are in Christ Jesus. The, he, and Paul uses four questions, if you heard them, that was just read for you. He uses four questions to make his point that God has saved us for sure and forever and loves us completely. Think of that. God has saved us for sure and forever and loves us completely. That is profound. And it is what the message of Romans 8 is communicating. So the first two questions that we dealt with last week deal with the Christian's fear of men and circumstances. Those things can undo us also in the Christian life, can't they? Well, the first question was this, if God is for us, who can be against us? Paul's resounding answer is no one. Nothing can be against us, of course. There is nothing, no opposition that can ultimately defeat us as Christians if we're in Christ. The second question that we dealt with last week in verse 32 was that, will he not graciously give us all things? If he gave us his son, the most valuable thing in all creation, all the universe, will he not, of course, give us all things? Paul wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will not withhold good from us, his children. He's for us. He loves us forever and for sure, and he wants to do good to us. 
We're not always convinced of that, are we? No. Our circumstances can shake our foundation. People can shake our foundation. And now here, when we get to question three, Paul wants us to think about God's commitment to us personally, his personal commitment to us. Look at verses 33 and 34 again to look at this third question. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God and indeed interceding for us. What's Paul's point? What's he trying to help us with as Christians? He wants us to be sure we understand that there is, there is no accusation from any corner that can actually disinherit us, do us harm spiritually. Nothing can be brought before God, who is the judge, to undo his gracious work towards us. Nothing could possibly happen. No evidence could be presented that would cause God to change his mind and regret having justified us. So the question here that Paul is, is answering uh, is that fear of being rejected by God. Maybe God didn't have the whole story back when he chose me, back before I started living this horrible life that I'm living. Maybe he wasn't fully aware of all this badness in me. Otherwise, he wouldn't have chosen me, right? That makes sense. Well, Paul wants to destroy that question, that argument. He wants his readers to be sure to understand the depth of God's love and the certainty of pardon for sin. He wants his readers to be secure. Are you secure in your faith this morning? Or do you spend a lot of time worrying about these kind of questions that Paul's asking? Is, is, is God for me? Will this last forever? You see, Paul knew people. The Holy Spirit, of course, knows us. Paul knows, the Holy Spirit knows, that it's easy for us to fall into questioning the truthfulness of complete forgiveness. Complete forgiveness. We tend to hold on to guilt naturally, especially when we sin repeatedly. I mean, how, how would you expect God to continue to forgive you for that sin you just keep committing? You really think that God's going to do that? Well, Paul seems to indicate that that's the case. One of Paul's objectives here in writing Romans 8 was to bring joy to, to his readers. Joy to us is the Holy Spirit's purpose. But he knew that would be impossible if someone was always worried about God's acceptance, always worried about whether or not God forgave. Can God actually forgive that? Here in this third question, Paul is addressing a joy-robbing fear. I mean, the Christian life, if it's not lived in joy, is a waste of time. Let me tell you, fear that comes from questions like, what if I fail as a Christian? What if I keep on sinning? Will, will God tire of my failings are what Paul's addressing here. And Paul's answer is emphatic in three ways. And I want you to, to look closely at your text as I'm explaining these three ways to you. These are found in these two verses, 33 and 34. First of all, Paul emphasizes God's gracious election. 
That's become a favorite word of ours in this church, election. Paul wants us to remember that God chose us before time. So there's nothing in time that can change his mind. We need to keep in, in view that no sin will revoke God's eternal choice of us that took place before time began. Remember that his sovereign choice took into consideration our rebellion and our hostility towards him. We read this morning from Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He chose us while we were still sinners, remember. This is important to keep in view. Paul emphasizes God's gracious election of us. Secondly, he emphasizes God's sovereign judgment. Notice, he asks the question, who is to condemn? And the immediate answer is Christ Jesus is the one who died. Who's Christ Jesus? The judge of all man, that one. That God, that judge, is who he's referring to. This is the one who, who died to redeem us. The, the, the one who has the right to judge us is the one who died to redeem us. He, he did this with a full understanding of all of our sins, past, present, and future. He, he was fully aware of all your shortcomings when he chose you. The God who knows all of our sins has granted us forgiveness in Christ and stamped on our record not guilty, period. There is no charge against us that's going to surprise God and going to say, oh, my goodness, if I would have just known that, I would have never chosen. No, that's not going to happen. No one can produce new evidence of our sinfulness that's going to cause God to change his mind. No, he knew the worst about us at the time he redeemed us. Thirdly, Paul emphasizes God's effective mediation. Look there towards the end of 34. This judge who died for us is currently at the right hand of God who is indeed interceding for us. He's praying for us daily, hourly, by the minute, right now. Paul wants us to understand the absurdity of thinking that this, this judge, this one who died for us, Jesus, the creator of all, of all things, who is currently praying for us, would at the same time turn around and condemn us. He says, that's absurd. He goes, why would you think such things? It's not possible. God's never going to put this whole thing into motion and then reverse himself and decided to con condemn us after all. That doesn't make any sense. And that's Paul's point. That type of thinking actually not only doesn't make sense, it belittles the wisdom, righteousness, power, and love of God. That's the third question. Is God going to condemn us? Who's going to bring a charge? No one, not even God himself. Does that bring joy to your heart, assurance to your soul? That's, God, that's Paul's intention. That's God's intention. Let's look at question four in verse 35. This is the fourth question of Paul's four. Verse 35 asks, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now, it's the same kind of question, isn't it? it, it if this sounds repetitive, it's because it is. Paul's trying to jackhammer this home into your mind. This is, of course, one of the most famous of Paul's questions because of the answer he gives. The answer is so overwhelmingly joyful, it's 
It's stunning. Look at the answer that Paul gives us in this short text here in front of us. This, this ending in Romans 8, verses, especially verses 38 and 39, is a triumphant song whose chorus is this, I am convinced that he loves me. After all these questions have been asked and answered, we could sing out with great joy, I am convinced that God loves me. Which is why we sing these things over and over again, Sunday after Sunday, like today. There are two elements of this amazing divine love that I want to highlight for you. The first is this, our loving God will keep our salvation safe. This text is the most profound text of eternal security in the New Testament, but the New Testament is full of these kind of affirmations. For example, in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, now listen, that is imperishable. <laughs> That's the first on the list, imperishable. Undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The first thing Paul wants you to know is our loving God will keep our salvation safe. Do you believe it? Or do you live in fear, joylessness, always trying to impress God and please him for favor's sake? Friends, our loving God will keep our salvation safe. Second thing I want to point out to you is that the purpose of this certainty, the purpose of this certainty that Paul is communicating is a joyful relationship. Like I said, Christian, joyless Christianity is a waste of time. It doesn't please God and, and no one enjoys it. And if you live with a, a joyless Christian, you know what I mean. If you are a joyless Christian, you know what I mean. No, the purpose of this certainty is a joyful relationship with God. Love between two parties is an end in itself. Uh, any loving relationship goal is the relationship. We, we don't love our spouses so they'll continue to cook for us or continue going to work so they'll provide for the family. No, your relationship with your friends isn't so that they will keep inviting you to the Christmas party no, you relate to people for the relationship itself, don't you? Yes, that's the end of all of this. It's the same with God. The goal of our loving relationship with God is a joyful loving relationship with God. Philippians 3.8, Paul said, Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus my Lord. That's why I'm pursuing Christ, because I love pursuing Christ it makes me happy, is what Paul said. Listen, Sun Valley Church, the, the purpose of our relationship with Jesus is the enjoyment of that relationship. Why else would you relate to him? That, that is designed by God. That is what God offers to draw you into this relationship. Joy, fulfillment, satisfaction. Yes, we don't pursue God to get better gifts from him. 
We pursue God to get God. God is the ultimate prize. Jesus said that knowing God is eternal life. But as John Piper argues in his book, Desiring God, God created us as hedonists, right? Pleasure seekers. And how does this fit into that equation? Well, God is the source of all things and the source of joy. He gives these good gifts that we like and enjoy and, and pursue, not for their sake, but to get to God. It, it's, Piper says that these gifts he gives actually draws us into a joyful relationship. That's why he's given them. God intends to fill the vacuums of our heart. He will satisfy the longings of our soul. None of his gifts do this. They simply attract us like light to moths, like pollen to bees. It's, it's just an attractant to what we're after, the God of heaven and a joyful relationship with him. So the question is, are you in Christ? Where you sit this morning, are you in Christ? Have you embraced the gospel? Have you embraced the God of the gospel? If so, there is no condemnation, condemnation in your future. You are free to fully enjoy God from here on out. You've been given a pass. Do you believe that you're secure in your relationship with God? If not, you'll always struggle to be joyful. You'll never attain it. If so, it's because you're convinced of his love for you. Do you believe that you're secure in your relationship with God? If not, you'll be joyless. If so, you'll be joyful. You see, Romans 8, friends, which is the reason I decided to, to teach it to you again, preach it to you, is really the scripture on affirming God's love and forgiveness for his people. And if you totally understand and believe and embrace that truth, you will live the rest of your life joyful no matter what your circumstances. That sounds good to me. Romans 8 is the Mount Everest of Scripture. And, and the final verses of Romans 8 that we've heard read this morning really is that summit of that majestic mountain. Verse 1 of Romans 8 begins with no condemnation. By the time you get to verse 38 and 39, we, we understand there's no separation. No condemnation, no separation are the bookends of this amazing chapter in Scripture. Paul's point is that for those whom God declares there is no condemnation, he affirms that that will never be reversed. Never. The minute that God declares us to be not guilty, we are assured that we will never be separated from God or his promises. And Paul emphasizes three things here in these final two verses that I want to point out to you as we conclude our study in Romans 8. First of all, he emphasizes our strong conviction of this truth. Our strong conviction of this truth. He says in verse 38, For I am sure. I am sure. He doesn't say, I really hope. No, I'm praying for. No, he says, I am sure. Absolute certainty, a strong conviction. Friends, strong, strong Christians have strong convictions. 
We, we must be convinced of our eternal, joyful, loving relationship with God. Steve Lawson said, we must not be dogmatic about this. We must be bulldogmatic about this. There will be no separation between me and my Savior ever. Second thing he emphasizes in these last two verses is our comprehensive experience. Look how he uses these last two verses to just hammer with a sledgehammer this nail into this board. I mean, he could have used one of those little hammers that your wives use at home to put nails all over the walls in your house. You know, that little hammer that's not much bigger than your thumb. Why don't you just use your thumb, woman? But, no, no, it's a little hammer about this big. He could, Paul could have used that and gone, ding, 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 ding. But no, he, he gets out the man's hammer, right? The sledgehammer. And just drives this nail almost all the way through the board. It's amazing. Look at these two verses. Look at this comprehensive experience. He uses four pairs to hammer this home with two singlets. And each of these pairs are contrasting pairs. They're opposites, so that you'll get the point that this is all inclusive, Paul wants you to hear. These four pairs are intentionally designed to encompass the full spectrum of every possibility. Paul wants us to understand that these contrasts include anything and everything that could possibly exclude us or separate us from the love of God. Pair number one, look at it. For I am sure that neither death nor life, there's the contrast, death nor life, and he, he begins with a negative to, to drive that, that, that nail a little more quickly into your heart. Paul wants us to understand these things. This includes everything, death, anything in death, anything in life. And we know that death is the master separator, don't we? Death separates us from family, from vocation, dreams, possessions, from our bodies, our homes, our earthly enjoyments. But even death doesn't separate us from the love of God. It says that those of the love of God in Christ Jesus... Do you see that? The love of Jesus Christ, of course, throughout the New Testament and all of Scripture is synonymous with salvation. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're in his love. If you're in Christ Jesus, you're in a, a sure and certain relationship with God of heaven. Psalm 116.15, speaking of death of those who are in Christ, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Luke 23, 43, to the thief on the cross, and Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you today, you'll be with me in paradise. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Away from the body is death, which creates presence with the Lord. Philippians 1, 21, we studied this verse a while back, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. That death doesn't separate us from God or his love. 
It's like we don't have to wonder, well, what's going to happen after death? You've been told what happens after death. God's going to continue loving you. That's what's going to happen after death. But then he adds this, nor life. Nothing in death, nothing in life will separate you from the love of God. This is a fairly comprehensive idea, isn't it? What's involved in life? Well, how long do you want to talk? Everything's involved in life. There's nothing you can do in life, no matter what part of life that you choose, that can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. Pick your worst sin. Did you do that in death or life? Life. Nothing in death nor any part of life can separate you from the love of God. <laughs> this, this is unconditional love that Paul's speaking of. Look at the second pair in verse 38. Nor angels, nor rulers. That's the spiritual world. Okay, there's nothing in the spiritual world that can do it. Not good angels, not bad demons. Nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. Pair three, nor things present, nor things to come. <laughs> nothing in this life, that's the present, nothing in the life to come will separate us from the love of God. That's an amazing span of experience, isn't it? Yeah, nothing today, tomorrow, can separate you from the love of God. This pair includes everything in your future. God, God orchestrates all of life. God has his divine radar in front of him. There's nothing on the radar in the rest of your life that's going to be possibly able to separate you from the love of God. Nothing present, nothing in the future can make that happen. Be at peace. Be at rest. Be joyful. Next we have a single concept, a single word. You see that there? Nor things present and the things to come, nor powers. He's not talking about spiritual powers there, as some people suggest, because he's already mentioned the spiritual world. He's talking about powers that we're aware of, physical powers, like governmental powers, things that you might fear that could upset your life and, and undermine your love for God and undermine his love for you. Remember who this letter was originally written to, Christians in Rome. How were the powers in their lives? Pretty substantial. Antagonistic would be a mild word for their relationship with their local government. We know church history. We know what happened to Christians in that first century in Rome. Even that isn't able to separate you from the love of God. <clears throat> Look at the fourth pair. Verse 39, nor height nor depth. This is, this is quite the book ends itself to demonstrate that there's no extreme Think of any extremity you want in any department of any of the pairs that he's already mentioned. There is nothing in the highest heaven, there is nothing in the lowest hell that can undo God's love for you. You remember Satan's attempt to undo God's love for Job? How'd that work out? Right? 
If anything, Job felt the love of God more confirmed after the end of all those accusations. Not the most powerful angel or the most evil demon can separate us from the love of God. And then Paul ends with this final single word, nor anything else in all creation. Nothing is the word, nor anything else in all creation. In case something has slipped through the sieve, Paul wraps it up and collects it with this statement. Nothing else in all creation can do that to us, can separate us from the love of God. It is a catch-all. It is north, south, east, west. Anything in there can separate you from the love of God. Do you, do you feel like it's been confirmed to you, Sun Valley Church, that God loves you? Yes. There's a false teaching out there that says that our salvation is pretty secure, and God, of course, never reject us, and nothing else really could reject our, could undo our faith, rather, but, but we can walk away, right? I can walk away on my own. Well, let me ask you something about English. <clears throat> What's it say here? Nor anything else in all creation. Are you part of creation? Or did you get in a special way? Paul's saying, not even you can separate yourself from the love of God. Your salvation is eternally, lovingly, joyfully secure. This is so critical to understand these things. Paul emphasizes that nothing, nothing, capital N, capital O, and the rest of the word can separate you from the love of God. He, he's created an impenetrable fortress of God's love around us. Are you in Christ? Paul's question is, if so, you are utterly and infinitely secure. And then he ends with this at the end of verse 39. From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> he emphasizes our loving God. Who does God love? It says us. If you want to do a real quick Bible study just on the word us in Romans 8, uh, it is substantial. Who's the us? It's those who aren't condemned. Starting in verse 1, it's those who are in Christ. It's those who are free in Christ. It's those who live according to the Spirit. It's those who are saved by this hope. It's those who live by the Spirit again later on in the teen verses, in verse 28. It's for those who love God and all things work together for them. It's for those who he foreknew. It's for those he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. It's those whom he predestined and called, and whom called he justified, and those he justified. It's those people who us refers to. Just look at verses 31 through 39 quickly with me. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, verse 32, he gave himself up for us. Verse 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? That's us. Verse 34, 
Who's to condemn? God is at the right hand of God. Uh, Jesus is the right hand of God interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Verse 37, all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, 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 all the way through. Are you us? In Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the favorite saying of Paul, a phrase of Paul. Of course, Christ is a reference to the Old Testament promised Messiah, that divine being coming to save his people, that alien being who came from heaven to be one of us. And when he became one of us, his name was Jesus. That affirms his what? Manhood. So he's a divine being living forever in, in glory who became a man, Christ, Jesus. And then how's he end it? Our, those of us, that group, our Lord. He is the ruler of everything. He is the supreme sovereign over all things, including, listen, your life, including your own life and the lives of your children. In order to be included in this us, to be included in the love of God, you must believe that Jesus is God in human flesh who is Lord of all. There is no corner of your life, no private closet, which you can claim as your own. He is Lord. Christ Jesus as Lord. That's the us. You see, Jesus cannot be your Savior if he's not your Lord. Don't believe that lie. It's a damning lie. If I came knocking on your home and you said, who's there? I'd say, John Schubert. And you say, well... John can come in. I don't want Schubert in here. What am I supposed to do? I, I, I can't come in because John and Schubert, that's the same thing. And Lord and Savior. I'll take the Savior, but Lord, stay out. What? No. That's not how it works. Although there are <laughs> amazing people calling themselves theologians who are teaching and claiming such things. Now you can invite them into your heart and have them as your Savior and then a few years down the road when you get serious, you can take him on as Lord. No. It's what Paul said here. Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the us. That's who this chapter is written to. Let me give you some points of application as we wrap this up. First, live in humility. Sun Valley Church friends, live in humility. If <laughs> there is one emotion that should come across your mind at hearing all these wonderful truths in Romans 8, it is this, humility. Why would such an amazing, wonderful God pick people like us? <laughs> no one enters the kingdom of God on pride. These things were given to you so that you don't boast. God opposes the proud but gives what to the humble? Grace. That saving thing. <laughs> live in humility. Secondly, live in certainty. Oh, Sun Valley Church, live in certainty. Romans chapter 8 was penned by Paul so that you can live with the certainty about God's unquenchable love for you. 
That's why it was written. In the middle of this theological treatise, he says, stop, put on the brakes. God loves you, you personally. This frees us up to live wholeheartedly for Christ with great joy. Thirdly, live in victory. Live in victory. There's no chance of defeat. <laughs> would you go into an investment if you knew it would be successful for 100% sure? Yes. Would you enter a game if you were promised that there was no chance you could lose? Yes. That's what Paul's saying here in Romans 8. There is no chance of loss. Victory is sure, certain, secure. So, what does that mean for your Christian life? Run into the battle smiling, right? Take every possible risk you can for the cause of Christ. And let me tell you something about Christian risk. It doesn't exist. There's nothing you can do that's risky in the Christian life. Well, what if I look? And? <laughs> so what if you lose your money? So what if you lose your life? There's no risk for those of us who are loved by God. Zero risk. Live in victory. Finally, and I've said this enough already, but I'll say it again, live in joy. Keep these precious thoughts in your mind. Remind them to yourself, to your family, daily. Remember these truths when you get discouraged. When you sin, remember these truths and run to the, to the person, that, that God of gods, the Lord of lords, who, who lives in heaven, who lived on earth, run to Jesus with full and joyful expectation of his loving embrace and forgiveness. Friends, live in joy. Live in humility. Live in certainty. Live in victory. Live in joy. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for inspiring the Apostle Paul to, to pen this wonderful chapter, this wonderful part of Romans, this letter to the Romans, that has been the joy of so many Christians throughout human history. Knowing that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from God, nothing that can separate us from you or change your mind about us. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are just overwhelmed with joy and thanksgiving for these precious truths. Remind us of them throughout this day, throughout every day of the rest of our lives. Cement these truths into our hearts. And I pray this in the name of our Savior who loves us. Amen.